0: I'm Kay Firth-Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Hello, and welcome back to a special episode of In AI We Trust. This week, I am so pleased to be joined by three guests who were all participants in the Equal AI Responsible AI Summit in DC that we've been talking about. The summit, as you know, is a culmination of the badge program for senior executives. And during the summit, responsible AI leaders came together to align on standards and best practices for a responsible AI governance framework. We were privileged to have these discussions with leaders across the US government, including the State Department, Representative Jay Obernolte, Representative Don Bayer, and Representative Ted Liu, and others who really helped inform our conversation. And in fact, I'm joining today from the site of our summit, the House at 1229, which has really helped facilitate great conversations for us and many others. We shared our findings and best practices in a white paper that was recently published and can be found on our website. So we are thrilled to talk to three of the co-authors here, Mike Tang, Catherine Goetz, and Dia Nguyen on this show. Mike is the Associate Director of Responsible AI at Verizon and has more than a decade of academic and industrial experience in machine learning, natural language processing, and big data technologies. Catherine is the Global Head of Inclusion Strategy at LivePerson and prior, she was a Senior Manager at T-Mobile an Associate Director at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and a consultant at the Millikan Institute of Public Health in George Washington University. Dia is a Senior Practice Manager for Responsible AI, Emerging Technologies, and Intelligent Platforms at the Amazon Web Services, AWS. In this role, she leads a team that engages with customers to go from principles to practice, operationalizing standards for responsible AI, machine learning, and data. So obviously perfectly positioned for us to learn from her on this very topic. She leverages over 25 years of experience as a technologist, scaling products for acquisition, driving inclusion, diversity, and equity initiatives. Thank you so much, Dia, Catherine, and Mike for joining us today. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and insights about our AI Summit, the Equal AI Badge Program, the White Paper, and more generally on responsible AI governance. So let's dive in. First, I'd love to ask each of you, if you could tell us, how did you start working in the responsible AI field? It's something people are hearing more about now, but a few years ago, this was less known and you all were already interested in working in this space. So where did this interest come from and what is some of the work you have been doing to engage further and and build up responsible AI governance in this space? Let's start with you, Mike.
1: Thank you, Miriam. In terms of myself, I'm a computer scientist by training, I would say. Uh, because I have a PhD in machine learning. But before I draw Verizon, I spent many years in first building models in the dispute and litigation industry. And usually I I work a lot in the consulting firms with my clients and most of them are, are law firms. And then I gradually transitioning from building model to testifying for those models and say, these models are working, they're bias-free in front of the judge. And then to more so like helping our clients to to build the procedures and practice to ensure their models are are fair, robust, and effective. That's how, how I started working in this field. But at that time, I think we are still debating on the name. Should we call that ethical AI, responsible AI, trustworthy AI? And I also help to start this marketing offer uh, initiative in my previous company uh, by offering companies service to helping them to build their AI practice to make it more responsible.
0: Fantastic. Looking forward to hearing more about that. And Dia, let's turn to you. Sure, so I probably have a little bit of a non-traditional
2: step into responsible AI. As you mentioned from my background, I studied computer science as well and then moved into the management of technology. But this was a bit of a career pivot for me in that um, I had been working at AWS and actually focused on operating model transformation. So how do we help customers think about what it means as they start to look at adopting the cloud? And and we talked about that in the context of people, process, and technology. And, And I use that very same sort of structure and framework to talk about it as it relates to responsible AI and what customers ultimately need. But my interest actually was uh, spawned by my two sons. So I have two sons uh, they are currently in high school, just started back to school, high school and middle school. And at the time, so this was about four and a half years ago, uh, maybe a little bit over that. But I, I was interested in thinking about and exploring whether or not we were preparing them for what they needed to, in terms of being ready for the workforce of tomorrow. And there were a couple of things that were constantly coming up for me. One was that data was driving and shaping and changing how we would engage in the kinds of jobs and opportunities that would be existing. But the same is true for AI and robotics. And then at the time, they were talking about sort of extended reality, virtual reality. And one of the things that I found is that there were less representation from people that looked like myself and my sons, But there was also sort of questions about the uh, disparate impact uh, and effect to people who were underrepresented in those. And so I felt like this was an opportunity for us or for me to be able to do something, especially since in my private world, I I do a lot in terms of investing in inclusion and diversity sort of efforts. And, And because I work at Amazon, we have this great opportunity to think big and come up with ideas that we believe would be impactful to our customers and to the organization. And, and that's ultimately that interest in how do we help our sons and help help young people be ready. Um, and I didn't believe the schools were doing that let me into this path of what, what else can we do to make a difference and actually shape uh, the way these systems are being uh, developed and built and help our customers to be able to do that as they build upon our services.
0: Well, a great story. And I don't think we ever connected on this, but one that I can actually very much relate to. It was looking at my daughters and what they were studying and what they weren't studying that really pivoted my career and, and got me to double down on responsible AI as well. Just seeing that it was, you know, almost this lost generation if if we didn't do more to make sure that they were. AI literate and and digital literate. And anyhow, super interesting. I look forward to hearing more. And Catherine, now to you.
3: Yeah, it feels like such a natural segue. So I am not a computer scientist by background, but I have spent my career really invested and focused both in higher education and in corporate on the barriers between people and opportunity. So I came up in the talent acquisition space and did a lot of work at universities on career development and readiness, working specifically with employers, right? And becoming over time, a super user of these tools, right? To help companies make decisions about people. And so, you know, through that work and both just seeing the potential, right, of learners at all stages in their academic careers and and recognizing that, you know, there are more barriers than there should be for all kinds of reasons. It springboarded my career into the corporate side, kind of thinking about what are we doing to diversify our pipelines and create really well-placed landing spots for folks as they come up. And then about two years ago, I took my next big step to live person to lead inclusion strategy. And so there I really got more of a front row seat into what does it look like to build AI systems and for whom do they work and why? And so my kind of, Classical training is in culturally responsive program evaluation, so I'm super curious about how things work and how they're built and who we're considering as stakeholders. And so now in my current role, I have the good fortune to work with our senior leadership teams and a number of folks across the organization to start to make sure that we're really broadening our definitions of stakeholders as we build and deploy AI systems for consumer-facing brands.
0: So interesting. Thank you, Catherine. And what a nice representation of what we know about the field of responsible AI. is people from all different backgrounds who had some kind of aha moment that could have come in their work, in their private life. But that's, I think, part of what makes this field so strong and effective, is that it's bringing together the different perspectives as I got to enjoy firsthand in our badge program and discussions with you and in our summit. So let's dig in on that you all are very busy. You have not a lot of spare time, and yet you chose to participate in this badge program over seven months, and then to really spend a a day with us digging down and working on following white paper from the Equal AI Summit in DC. Can you share with our listeners, why did you decide to take the time to sign up for the badge program? What did you get out of it? And and why did you decide to do the same with the summit? And, And what were some of the big takeaways for you from the summit? So let's mix it up. This time, let's start with Dia.
2: Sure, thank you. Well, one of the things, when I was first starting into uh, Responsible AI, there wasn't much out there in the way of courses, content. Of course, there was things that you could find from a research perspective, but there wasn't, you know, course content necessarily or classes that that you could engage uh, to learn more. So I spent a lot of my time reading research in addition to the studies that I did just in terms of learning on my own So that said, I'm always fascinated and looking for uh, what are other people doing in the way of evolving and developing content now and courses. And the other part of that was that, you know, we recommend as part of the strategy for our customers to think about education as a key component of that. And so understanding what's available and, and exploring that so that I could make recommendations for other folks was some of the motivation for me. And of course, it's Great to be able to, and and this is what I found the most valuable, as you were describing, uh, Miriam, the, the opportunity that Responsible AI provides in bringing together multiple stakeholders across different backgrounds. Um, That's so important in the perspective that they bring. And that was one of, I think, the the, the most instrumental pieces of the program as well, is that we actually got to experience that and unpack uh, some of our individual uh, backgrounds and expertise, having the opportunity for that to all come together in a way and test out some of what we've been doing, validate some of our approaches, but also hear and get perspective from others. That could be useful as as we continue to, to practice.
0: Well, and I hope you did find it useful. And so Mike, I'll turn to you if you want to say more about perhaps the summit or, the, or your experience with the white paper.
1: Yeah, I, I, first I agree with everything that Dia just mentioned hundred percent. And from my perspective, because responsible AI is a brand new field, and there are no clear instructions that once you follow, once you do, then you're hundred percent covered. So instead it's quite the opposite. There are many new developments in the responsible AI field and new developments in the AI field and many research steps from my perspective. And then companies are also in different level of maturity. So I think Personally, I I, I believe in proactive risk management, sharing best practice among each other and learn from each other. And also collectively, we figure out the best path forward. I think that the summit really provides the opportunity for companies share similar views, to get together, to sync up, to discuss and learn from each other. I think that is the only way to to move this field forward. And I think we will come up with much better approach than just individually, trying to figure out what's the best thing to do.
0: So well said, this is definitely something that we need to do collectively, all hands on deck and and with multi-stakeholder perspectives, as you and both said. Catherine, how about you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that I was eager to join the Batch Program primarily because I knew that my perspective was one that could add value, but I I didn't necessarily have access to conversations that were happening in other places in the business or other places in other companies that were tackling this. So I really wanted to kind of start to hear and understand the language that people were using from a technical vantage point or from a legal or policy-based vantage point. And so it just gave me such a useful and really kind of full understanding of the enormity of the work that's happening across the company, both you know that would be true and relevant in my own organization, but also this kind of informing industry best practice. And the reason that I think the summit was so important to not only participate in, but also it would be like, the reason I'd encourage other people to attend as well in future cohorts is in addition to what Dia and Mike certainly shared, I think having the opportunity to be in community with other people who you have spent time with that you've kind of developed trust and and can lean on their expertise is so valuable because there are so many times, especially in our organization where we're, you know, convening a steering committee and we're having those conversations about how to tackle something. And so to be able to reach to a group that you know has done this you know, although in their own context, it can give you some of that insight that you can trust and kind of use and guiding your own organization's next steps is a really, really valuable thing. And it's just, it's also wonderful to just hear from so many thought leaders in such an emerging space. So it was a fabulous experience.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on it. You know, I think the community part, we at Equal AI enjoy it so much as well, in addition to what it sounds like our, our participants and other community members do. It's interesting because when we started the badge program, it was really to help align on best practices. You know, companies were saying, I want to be a good actor here, but there aren't clear national or international standards to follow. So, what do I do? Which we, of course, sympathized with and tried to quickly find the best thinkers on this to come together for our program. Um, And what we found was that piece is very much appreciated, but almost equally is the community. It's you all and your colleagues coming together and having that opportunity to have these open conversations about what's working and what's not working and and what your best practices are in real time, at least on a monthly basis. But it was interesting with the last program, monthly was not enough. They wanted more. And so, you know, we love the interest in the community piece here in particular.
2: The frequency and that community, I think, is equally as important as we continue to see things evolve. And I think Mike mentioned this as well, right? This being such a new and nascent area and there's so much happening so rapidly that having this sort of circle of trust uh, to be able to bounce the ideas off of, but also explore some new opportunities as things are evolving, I think is huge, right? Because there's still so much. There there are a lot of known unknowns and we can kind of unpack some of this together, especially with the collective experience that the group brings.
0: Such a good point, Dia. I mean, as you're alluding to, the AI world seems to be changing completely at 180s every few months or quicker. And so we all want to make sure we're ready, we're ahead of the game to the extent possible or responding quickly, given the gravity uh, of what you all are working with and making sure that AI is safe and, and fair and effective. And so, you know, one thing we've often heard with people who are interested in Equal AI and asking about our work is, why can't you publish more about these best practices? Why is the badge program only for the participants. And so we really tried to find a way to share our learnings and lessons with the broader community. We don't wanna be holding back best practices. It's something you know we love to talk about and we really love to showcase the individuals who are doing this work, you all, the practitioners who are leading in this space. And so that was the original thought behind producing a white paper following our AI summit. And as viewers can see from reading it, it's a great overview on best practices where there's alignment on some of the leading practitioners and thinkers in this space. So for those who didn't participate and wanna know what is in this white paper, is it something worth going to equalai.org and checking out, what would you say are some of the biggest takeaways and what's the target audience and why should they be reading this white paper? This time, let's start with Catherine.
3: Sure. First and foremost, the reality is that nearly every company is a technology company today. right? And so that means that all people are going to be influenced in one way or another by the innovation of AI, and that makes it a really important conversation to hold as mainstream as we do things like security. right? So in terms of who should be reading this paper, I think every organization would find a lot of value in the contents of the white paper. The thing that I think is most useful about it is it's really practical, right? And so one of the things that's super important about multi-stakeholder engagement is that we're all speaking kind of different, you know, functional languages. And so oftentimes I noticed that as I was approaching these discussions, we were talking about really technical material, which is wonderful and really important. And is often, you know, at the crux of a lot of the how that underpins responsible AI work, but it's also equally as important that it's accessible and consumable. And so the white paper does such a good job, I think, of just kind of mapping out a step by step of how an organization can get started. And, you know, it makes it really easy for organizations to see themselves in that work, regardless of how mature their processes may or may not be.
0: Thank you, Catherine. It's so helpful to hear your input on what it was and, and, and what you got out of it. And you raise a really important point. We all talk about needing to have multi-stakeholder conversations, but there are many challenges. And one is common language and common understanding of a process and a framework. And so hopefully this will, will help facilitate some of those conversations, but you know that is certainly a challenge that companies need to think through. How about for you, Mike, what were some of the big takeaways? Who should read the white paper and why?
1: Yeah, I think the white paper is a very good starting point. If anyone trying to think about how to start building an effective AI governance program from scratch, right? Because everybody has their own bias and and blind spot. Sometimes it's hard to think comprehensively and, and keep track of everything. However, if you look at the white paper, it it hits all the key points like the values, the principles, the governance structure, those are the the bone for an effective governance program. So I think for company you're new to this topic and thinking about building the program, I think that is a must read. Even though you're already, like many of us, are already on this journey in building out the program. I think the white paper can help you to, to calibrate your approach to understand how how your peers in in other companies are approaching that so that help you to uncover some of the blind spots and build a more uh, robust and comprehensive program. So I see a lot of benefits from that white paper.
0: Terrific. Thank you. Mike and Dia, over to you. I don't disagree with anything.
2: It's already been said. I think that this uh, paper is, is certainly accessible. And and I agree uh, with the comment that Christine made about the fact that folks often approach this conversation from a technical perspective. And we've been guilty of doing that as well as a technology company and redrive drive with the technology. And I, and I think it's great to be able to also sort of reframe people's thinking that it requires, one, deliberate or intentional steps and approach, it should be a part of the overall strategy and that this is not just a technology solution alone. And I think the document does a great job and being able to outline, you know, the other considerations that aren't just technical that need to be a part of the organization's approach to responsible AI. But but it is absolutely a document that is accessible and, and should be understandable by all. And I think the other thing that I appreciate about the fact that we included in this was the idea of uh, the cultural piece of it, right? Like embracing a culture of responsibility that is necessary. And also thinking about how does that, uh, how does that work for, the people that then are engaged, and not just the users of the system, but all of the stakeholders, and bringing that to light in the document, I think is extremely useful.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, a constant drumbeat in the program, which again, I don't know that we started off focusing on that, but it certainly became a through line in our discussions was culture. There has to be a culture of responsible AI, meaning a responsible uh, focus, a focus on making sure that uh, your actions comply with your values, support your values are not impeded by your AI technology or other actions. That certainly came through loud and clear as well as the focus on trust building, which obviously is hand in hand with having a trustworthy culture. So I think it would be helpful for people to have a real world example. And I'll let you all jump in as you're so moved to speak because I think you know sometimes reading these frameworks and principles and values It looks fine, makes sense on paper, but it's the real world examples that we get to talk about the badge program and and in our community uh, that really bring to life what some of the challenges are, what some of the benefits are of this deeply important responsible AI governance work. Would any of you be willing to share a real world example to illustrate what responsible AI looks like, what the benefits are, what the challenges are? I can jump in here, and, and, and I, I'll, I'll get this from
2: a, a couple of perspectives. One is um, I'm fortunate to be able to work with a number of uh, companies or have engaged with a number of companies. And, you know, although we talk, and certainly as practitioners, we talk about responsible AI quite a bit, not everyone sees the same value uh, around responsible AI initially, right? And and so, so, you know, I've had an opportunity to work with um, a, a company in the financial industry, and they were, one, I think the chief data officer was certainly aware, right, and conscious of the value and importance of responsible AI, but felt like that wasn't necessarily integrated into the organization as a whole, that that all of his developers, uh, his, his data scientists and everyone else didn't necessarily see the potential impact and uh, some of the challenges that not paying attention to responsible AI might bring. And so w- while this is somewhat simple, I think this is going to double down uh, on one, having a strategy and two, um, education And so for him, it was, how do we now increase uh, the awareness of our respective teams um, and everybody that's a part of the development process? And, and we sort of elevated his thinking to not just the development process, but everyone who's responsible for the evolution of the product itself uh, to be engaged. And so that meant that we started off working, you know, on role-based learning, at different levels to be able to elevate their awareness to the kinds of questions that they should ask and then where their responsibility might lie within that overall process. So, you know, a data scientist might be, you know, employing certain tools in order to be able to detect for bias, but then, you know, our product manager is actually, you know, employing some other approaches so that they can make sure that they're not only thinking about the customer um, and other stakeholders, but also thinking about and like using, for instance, anti-personas in order to unpack the, the users or the stakeholders they intend not to serve so that they can get at unintended impact. And so this was, you know, one, a strategic sort of uh, initiative that reshaped a uh, communication plan, reshaped education um, for their users across the different uh, parts of the machine learning lifecycle, their product lifecycle, and actually helped them to you know, infuse responsibility into their process.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Dia.
1: I can add another example, for example, like related to Gen AI, right? So I think a lot of companies are um, originally, they are very hesitant to use generative AI at the first place because it's just full of uncertainty and unknowns. And, and you see the release of ChatGPT and then later it was banned by some companies and organizations for very legit reasons, because people are not sure the risk related to the tool but at the time that it is released. But on the other hand, if that is the case, then it will be very difficult to fully leverage the power of AI and technology. So I think, fortunately enough, at Horizon because we have already stood up the responsible AI program and then building our process and and then bringing the teams together so that we we can then, uh, relatively easier for us to adapt our workflow to the generative AI to to proactively manage the Gen AI related risk, right? That that allow us to really explore uh, Gen AI solutions responsibly. Now people knows there's a model governance process, there's a way to bring to the table uh, all the experts from legal, risk, security, and then also uh, responsible AI to vet the solution, then they feel a lot more comfortable to start exploring a Gen AI solution. This won't be possible if you don't have an effective governance program in place.
0: Absolutely, no question there. Thank you, Mike. And I would offer just briefly, so
3: one of the things that's been really interesting to me and has been, I think will continue to be a bit of a, a challenge, right? As we mature our processes, but is also such an important opportunity is because of the type of solutions that we build, we don't necessarily control all of the ultimate use cases, right? And so when we think about user testing and how do we make sure that we understand how and in what ways this is either advancing equity or fairness, or could potentially be harming someone, it's just a very big, <laughs> it's a big playing field because the use cases are really, really vast. And what we have talked through, and I, I would be certain that our technical teams are finding is that it creates this really important opportunity to kind of collaborate and co-create with our customers because together they know best how they want to serve their customer using our products and tools. And it gives us kind of the real tangible examples and the data to support that, right? To do user testing that actually makes a difference, right? Because we don't necessarily build the, we will, we won't, we shouldn't, and put that onto customers, but it gives us the chance to kind of come together and say, how should this work? And what do you want this to look like? And I think it reinforces trust and holds us additionally accountable, right? Because then our customers expect that from us. So we think, although it's challenging because there's such variety in our customers and the use cases that, that they need, it also gives us a really good opportunity to collaborate.
0: Awesome, well, thank you for sharing what you put into the white paper, what you got out of it and and how this work looks in in real life. But we know that participating in the badge community, writing the white paper, they're important steps but certainly not the end of our efforts. There's still a lot of work to be done. Would any of you mind sharing what you have next? What's on tap for you next in terms of your responsible AI work? professionally or personally, what do you see as the next step for you in achieving responsible AI governance? Let's start with you, Dia.
2: This is an interesting question because we were just mentioning how technology is advancing so quickly, and so what is in front of us in some ways is unknown. I will tell you that we still, uh, it's certainly in my role at AWS, uh, we still have a a huge commitment and focus on continuing around our strategy for responsible AI, which for us looks at four key areas. And being willing to evolve and iterate, right? And I think that's a key part of, you know, any responsible AI strategy that we need to continue to evolve, iterate, review, improve as we see shifts and changes in technology and we unpack some of the existing issues or risks, but also uh, uncover some new ways to be able to address those. And then from a personal perspective, you know, I, I continue to look for opportunities for us to engage in these conversations, because I believe that there is uh, not just a responsibility that tech or hyperscalers have in the way of um, being responsible, but that we all have a part to play in understanding, one, the ways in which technology is used, but also advocating for the safe use of that technology. And understanding what those implications are for us as everyday consumers, right? And so I look forward to being able to have conversations, just not in the tech space, but with nonprofits, with other organizations, in schools and encouraging students as well uh, to seek opportunities to engage in the technology. They certainly are more open than others, but being willing to embrace AI, because I think that, you know, this could very well be an opportunity to level the playing field and some more equitable outcomes for all.
0: Great answer, Dia. I'd like to plus one on both parts of your answer. Catherine. how about for you? What's next?
3: Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways from the badge and the summit experiences is just the importance of the role that leaders on people functions, right, or DE&I functions really have. So when we think about creating environments where employees can trust that when they raise something that, you know, they see a potential harm or they have an idea or they're recognizing that perhaps a voice is missing that they can say so. And that, you know, we have the right kinds of accountability structures in place so that we are rewarding behaviors that reflect our culture. And so I think that from a personal perspective, there's a lot of opportunity there to just ensure that those systems and processes are in place to support this work and to support the change that has to happen as we evolve, you know, our AI principles and and kind of how we operate as an organization. So I think that piece is really exciting. The other thing that strikes me is operationalizing this kind of work is not unlike operationalizing principles of inclusion and equity and all of those things. And so I think our shared kind of ultimate outcome is to advance equity and fairness through responsible AI, through inclusive cultures, all of those things. So I'm really optimistic about, you know, the chance to really live our principles. I wanna see the how, and I wanna see it put into action. And I think that we're certainly on the right path.
0: Fantastic. And Mike, what's next for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I think the, as Dia mentioned, there are so many things to do and we, we need to make sure the overall compliance and the governance of the, the AI and the company and also develop the capability. One thing I can share is that as Verizon is maturing our AI governance program, as we continue to optimize and, and mature things, we, we need to tackle how to measure our maturity and progress. As we all know, the the NIST framework define some goals that company need to achieve for map, measure, manage, and and govern. And to us, those are the destinations. Those are the finishing line. Those are those goals. But when we are moving from the starting point to the finishing line, we need to be able to tell exactly where we are and to quantify that, to make sure we can always make progress and, and keep track of things. I think that is what we believe is very important and we are working on right now. It's more like a scoring mechanism to understand the maturity level of the company and, and, and make sure we are moving in the right direction.
0: Such a great point, Mike, and, and something that at the summit we all agreed on, but we didn't have enough time to delve into that very important but broad conversation on what metrics would look like. So we'll all look forward to learning from you on where you're headed with this and continue to have this conversation, I hope. Well, I hate to wrap up this conversation because I know our listeners can learn so much from the work that you're doing and and what you are bringing to it personally, but Here we are. So I'm gonna ask you the question we ask all of our guests and that is if you had a magic wand to achieve responsible AI, what would that wish be? Mike, we'll start with you this time.
1: Yeah, I, I think for AI, although I don't have a lot of concern, but I still some concern regarding if AI is on the right path to become more sentient and understanding the world, so-and-so, then you see many pioneers of AI express their concern through open letter and, and talks and, and so-and-so. So if that is the case, I would like to have a magic wand to put responsible AI in the DNA of AI, like basically teaching AI what not to do and how to do things more responsibly, and then follow the principles that are defined by human. I think if knows how to do that, then I will have, I will have less headache.
0: <laughs> yes, guess. We'll put ourselves out of business. That's a great idea. And Catherine, how about you? Yeah, I was
3: reflecting on this kind of after the summit as well, and there was something that is in the white paper, but also um, that was shared with us as part of the program that Kathy O'Neill offered to the group, which was, for whom might this technology fail? And I just can't get away from knowing that if we were truly to ask ourselves at every place in the kind of multi-stakeholder ecosystem that's leading AI governance, if we were all to ask ourselves that question, I think our outcomes would automatically be better. We would become more empathetic in our actions, and I think it would just take us quite far. So if I had a magic wand, I think that would be my
0: wish. I love that. Channeling Kathy in in our magic wand, and we'll all be in a better spot if that works. So thank you, Catherine, and Dia. How about you? So if I had a magic wand, I think that I would remove the
2: unintended consequences of AI. There's so much that we don't know yet, and you know, with every technological advancement, there is you know an opportunity for good as well as an opportunity for not so good or or harms and and with every technological advancement we've seen you know both at work and and there's a bit that that we just don't know what this means right we don't quite understand the ways in which reshaping and evolving how we engage in the world and how we interact is actually going to have an effect on us in the future and I think that my, you know, my wish would be is to remove the unintended impact, the things that we don't know that likely will affect us later on. It's almost like, you know, taking um, medicine and and knowing that there are side effects. Well, you kind of know the ones that are listed, but you don't know the other ones. And the long-term use of a thing could have an effect. So, so being able to wave the magic wand and remove the unintended impact, because we're putting in the other structures in place to be able to address the things we know, the so things that we don't know, the, the the long-term effects that we can't quite see yet, that we need to find a way to better address. So that would be my wish.
0: Such a great point, whether it's bias or discrimination or geography, age, challenges or use cases that weren't originally envisioned. There are so many unknowns right now in AI. And I know you all try every day to imagine and future-proof your AI systems. And it really is a privilege to work with you all as you are on this journey to make sure that we are all safer and that our AI serves us and doesn't compete with our values or challenge our values and our whole community benefits from your participation. So thank you for the work you do and thank you for participating in our badge program and our summit. And I'm so excited for others to learn from you in our white paper. Thank you all. Thank you for your leadership and creating this opportunity for us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you all.
3: Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.
0: And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.